Welcome to the Supervisory Development Course podcast from the University of Minnesota. This podcast discusses the challenges and best practices of engaging virtual teams. We discuss how you can keep your team connected and engaged when going from an in-person to a virtual work environment. It's challenging, especially during trying times, but it's not impossible. Visit supervising.umn.edu and explore the module on leading teams, which includes other relevant resources. Welcome to our webinar today on engaging virtual teams. I'm Emily Titchich, and I'll be presenting the webinar today. I'll also be joined at the beginning by Brandon Sullivan, the Senior Director of Leadership and Talent Development. And later I'll be joined by John Barnett, who is also part of our Leadership and Talent Development team. One thing I'd like to address up front is that the materials and ideas we will talk about in this webinar are designed to help you think about leading virtual teams at any point, not just in a crisis. This webinar was created during the COVID-19 pandemic, which has resulted in a lot of questions from everyone at the university about our future work circumstances and who will continue to be remote or not. Regardless of the specific direction that people take in the near future, we know that many of you will be doing more virtual work somewhere at some time. We understand the urgency of your questions, but it's important to remember that virtual teams have and will exist as an option for many teams at the university beyond the pandemic. They're not just a response to a crisis, but they're a valid way of working together with many benefits. But of course, they also require supervisors to be intentional in how they lead them, since they're different from face-to-face -face teams. Today, we'll be focused on these universal skills that can improve virtual teams now and in the long term and give you the confidence you need to successfully lead a virtual team. So like I mentioned earlier, today's webinar is designed to help you become a better leader of virtual teams. The webinar has three parts and you can see those outlined in front of you there. First, Brandon will help you understand how transitioning to virtual teams has been only one of many challenges that supervisors have faced in recent months. So yes, despite the fact that this webinar is designed to help you learn how to lead virtual teams at any time, not just during a crisis, we also want to acknowledge the transitions that supervisors and their employees have been facing since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. So this will help set the context for the content and start differentiating the challenges that you might be facing. Next, so part two, we'll look at the common pitfalls of engaging virtual teams and you'll have a chance to reflect on the current challenges or successes that you're having with your own team. Finally, we'll spend some time describing the five essential skills of leading teams and how to adapt and apply them when your team is virtual. We'll also address some of your questions that were submitted over the last few weeks. Great. So Brandon's gonna get us started by talking about the different transitions that you might be experiencing. So I'll hand it over to him now. Thanks, Emily. As supervisors, we're dealing with a lot right now, a lot of changes, a lot of things we have to help our teams with. And it can be really difficult sometimes, I think, to, to tease out what are some of the specific transitions we're going through. And so what are some of the specific things that we can do as supervisors to help our teams uh, ad adapt and adjust? And um, as we've been working with lots of supervisors at all levels across the university system, um, and we've been uh, hearing and seeing some of the different challenges and, and transitions that everybody's going through, uh, there are, are at least five, uh, probably you could add more to this, uh, but there are at least five that uh, over the last few months, most supervisors, most teams have been dealing with in one way or another. The first one, which is the focus today, is uh, many teams moved from being in person to virtual. 
And some teams maybe were a blend, so sometimes people would be virtual, but typically, you know, a lot of teams at the university used to be based in the office, and now many teams have moved to virtual. So that's one challenge, and today's webinar is going to focus a lot on that. But that's just one, <laughs> and some of the other challenges, I think, are even greater than that uh, in some ways. The second challenge is that many teams, uh, many groups have gone from being a little more independent to being a little more interdependent. And what that means is that in this new, um, this new world that we're in now, uh, there's a little bit more focus that I see on teamwork and collaboration. Um, now, some teams may be going the other way uh, as well. There may be some teams that have gone from working more interdependently, more collaboration in the office, and now that those teams are virtual, it's possible that there may be more independent work where you sort of divide up the work and everybody works independently and then comes back together. Um, so there's so there's some changes for a lot of teams in terms of the, the level of communication and coordination day-to-day -day in the work. Um, that's going on. And that's that's uh, something that many teams are dealing with. Another one is stability to crisis or vice versa. And lots happened in the last few months. Um, and as a supervisor, um, every time there's a crisis that something happens, uh, it raises questions on your team, right? Many people start to worry about things like, you know, will I have a job in the future? Can I, you know, will I be able to do my job going forward? Or is my job going to change so much I can't do it? Um, they'll have, you know, questions about how are we going to work together and uh, maybe questions about their financial security. Um, so there's a lot of questions that come up that supervisors um, are dealing with. And, and, you know, we also have our own questions as supervisors because things are happening so quickly sometimes um, that it's, it's not clear what some of the answers are. Um, and it takes time to work through some of those. And then we get back to maybe a little bit more of a sense of uh, stability or what some might call a new normal. And then there's another crisis that happens and there's a, more questions and concerns. And there's been a lot of that lately. And so as we've transitioned through those, um, that's another thing that supervisors have had to deal with that doesn't have anything to do with working virtually necessarily, but is kind of layered on top of that. Then uh, the fourth transition that many teams are going through right now is what I would call sort of an old way of working to a new way of working. And um, what this gets at is a lot of times when you take work that was done in person and you move it to a virtual environment, you have to do it differently. The work itself is different. Um, for example, for our team, we used to deliver some in-person leadership programs, and we may do that again someday, but we're not doing that right now. And it wasn't just a matter of taking what we did in person and putting it online. We had to really rethink how are we achieving those same learning objectives using different methods, using different tools. And that's true for lots of kinds of work. And there's opportunity there to be more efficient then with your work and to kind of you know, reinvent your, your work in a way that, that makes it more effective. Um, but nonetheless, it's a transition from how the work is getting done for lots of teams. And then the, the fifth one, and this is one that um, from what I've heard and seen and experienced myself is one of the biggest challenges. And that is that in the old world, it was much easier to separate work and home. Um, and now for many people, those lines are gone. Um, and a lot of people, you know, are working uh, at home with uh, maybe with partners who are also working at home, with kids who are at home, maybe with, you know, uh, older parents who are who are there, and and those those boundaries, those barriers, those natural separations between work and non-work is gone. Uh, 
Um, and that's that creates very different challenges for different people. And as a supervisor, lots of supervisors are, are trying to deal with. So if I have a couple team members who are home with little kids that don't have daycare, you know, how do I support them and how do I manage that? How do we get the work done uh, with them? And I may have some other team members who don't have little kids at home, but they're dealing with feeling very isolated and maybe they're used to seeing lots of people, but they're home by themselves and they, they can't do that. And they're struggling with something different and, and, and all everything in between. That's a big transition that lots of teams are going through. And again, that's not related to directly related to going from in-person to virtual. Uh, that's a different kind of transition. And so all of these things are happening. And, and then, of course, we have the, the murder of George Floyd and all of the different things coming from that come more conversations about race, about racism, prejudice, about what what can we do um, more than we're doing now to address that. That is another thing that that's really coming up that I would say um, is is seems to be coming up on most teams and, and many supervisors are, are addressing that. Um, and so there's all of this stuff happening right now, um, all these transitions, all of these, these things that are difficult to deal with. And um, as supervisors, you know, helping your team navigate that is part of your job, right? And so um, we're going to focus today on the, the in-person to virtual piece. Um, but as you think about the challenges on your team, be thinking about these other transitions. And where is your team at with these transitions? Uh, where are their needs in terms of some of these transitions? These are going to hit at different times for different teams. Um, but it, it's entirely possible that some of the challenges on your team right now aren't due to just moving from in-person to virtual, but are actually due to some of these other transitions and these other things that your team is dealing with. Uh, so for example, when a lot of people with little kids lost their uh, childcare um, and their home uh, trying to work full time uh, with little kids there, um, that presents all sorts of challenges. That doesn't have anything to do with being virtual uh, directly. It has to do with not having childcare and, and how you manage that. So um, these are some things to think about um, and we're gonna dive into more the, the virtual piece uh, in a little bit. So it's important to be thinking about this um, these different transitions uh, so that you don't automatically assume, oh, the, the virtual work is really what's causing some of these challenges, um, that those other things may be more exacerbating or complicating some of those challenges. So um, something to, to kind of think about in terms of the bigger picture and the context that we're in. Before we jump in to talk about best practices of engaging virtual teams, I want to talk for a minute about what we mean by a virtual team. Many teams at the university have gone from being uh, fully in person, where everybody is in the office uh, during work hours every day, uh, to fully virtual, where nobody's in the office. Everybody's at home uh, working remotely. And those are two ends of a continuum. And a lot of teams have made that, that's a huge leap from fully in person to fully virtual. But that's what many teams have done. Now there's a lot in the middle. There's a lot between those two, what we might call hybrid teams. And when we think about the future of, of teams at the university, chances are many teams are gonna move more towards a hybrid model. Instead of being purely in person or remaining purely virtual, many teams are likely to become more hybrid teams. And this can look a few different ways. One way is that you may have a few team members who are in the office all of the time or most of the time because that's what their work requires. They have to be there physically in the office to do their job. But then you have other members of the team who may be virtual 
um, all of the time or may split their time between some time in the office and, and some time working virtual. And so that kind of team is still got a lot of virtual team stuff going on, um, but it's there's a, an in-person component as well. Um, you may also have a lot of teams where um, nobody is in the office all the time or virtual all the time, but everybody uh, spends some time in the office when uh, the, that kind of work requires you to be there to do certain things um, in person. But other times you may have most or everybody working virtually uh, because you can be more productive, more efficient, get more work done that way. And so there's different ways a hybrid team can look, but the idea is that it's uh, got a lot of virtual components to it. Now, if you think about it, um, you know, many even in-person teams, teams that were purely in-person before, still had elements of virtual teams. So, for example, um, if you used you know, a Google Doc to write notes and share notes electronically, or if you used, you know, a, a project management software uh, to, you know, track projects and had people enter information, I mean, that's a that's an electronic tool, a virtual tool that you're using. Maybe you create um, you know, Google Slides where you're putting presentations together using that. Even email you know, is a way of communicating virtually. Um, and so there's lots of ways that, that teams across the university that were even in person already had some virtual elements to them. Um, and the more of that that you build in, um, the easier it's going to be to become more of a hybrid team uh, in the future going forward. So regardless of whether your team is going to be purely virtual, purely in person, or more likely a kind of a hybrid uh, going forward, um, there are things that, that are going to be really helpful for you to know and be thinking about in terms of how to really engage and lead virtual teams. Another thing to keep in mind is that there are some real benefits to virtual teams. And you'll see some of these benefits even if you move from an in-person team to a hybrid team. So I know for most teams at the university that uh, have been in person historically, probably can't go fully virtual. That's probably not realistic or practical. But most teams that were fully in person uh, probably could go to more of a hybrid approach where you start incorporating some of these virtual elements into how you work and how the work gets done, um, allowing for more flexibility for team members to work remotely, some or all of the time. And if you do that, um, then you're going to see some of these benefits. And one big one is attracting and retaining talent. Um, it's increasingly an expectation for people that their, their jobs and their employer will provide um, opportunities to work uh, remotely, to work virtually, so that even if you can't be in the office, you can still get all your work done and be productive and collaborate with your team. And um, so the more you incorporate some of these virtual elements into your team, the more uh, attractive some of those jobs are going to be to people in the, in the job market and also to retaining talent. A lot of people leave jobs that don't provide uh, the ability to, to get their work done in a way that flexes with their life. And, and this has nothing to do with not meeting deadlines or not being willing to put in hours or work hard. Actually, a lot of people that work remotely put in lots of hours and work very, very hard. It's, it's not about that, but it's about being able to sort of integrate work and life and having the ability to continue to work even if you can't be in the office is a real benefit to a lot of people. And so in terms of attracting and retaining talent, the more you can do to build in virtual elements into your team, 
um, chances are the, the easier time you're going to have attracting top talent and retaining people. Another benefit is it helps you to innovate how your work gets done. So when you look at work uh, and, and that maybe was done in person before and look at how do we build in some of these tools that allow for uh, efficient collaboration and communication and working together, um, you can actually become much more innovative, much more efficient, and often much more effective uh, and intentional in how you're getting work done. So it can save time, uh, increase your quality, uh, and, and that kind of thing. So that's a real benefit. And then a third benefit is it helps the well-being of your team members. Um, the more you allow the sort of flexibility to work uh, even when you're not in the office or you have to be doing something else and to have these tools available to you to communicate and collaborate um, wherever you are, that reduces stress for people, um, sometimes by quite a lot. Um, and so it can really enhance the well-being uh, of your team members uh, and help them to be you know, happier and healthier in their roles. So there's lots of benefits to virtual teams. And, and like I said, you don't need to be fully virtual to realize a lot of these. So I would encourage you all um, who lead teams that that you know maybe were fully in person before, um, and you're thinking of going back to that? Are there ways you can move the needle uh, on that and, and incorporate some of the things that we'll talk about in this webinar uh, into your teams? So virtual teams are here to stay in one form or another, and if you're supervising a virtual team now or in the future, or you're trying to help your team move from fully in person to more of a hybrid model it's critical that you know the skills that you'll need in order to, to make your team successful. And like Emily had said earlier, our content today is designed to go beyond short-term technology solutions and be focused on how you can really engage and lead a virtual team in the long run. Uh, I also want to note that the skills we're going to be talking about today uh, apply to leading in-person and virtual teams, but we will be giving special attention to how these skills are best applied in a virtual context and what you need to focus on. Okay, so now Emily is gonna talk about the pitfalls of engaging virtual teams. Thanks, Brandon. So there are some common themes that we hear about when it comes to supervising virtual teams versus in-person teams. To illustrate this, I want you to pause the webinar and take a second to think about and write down any mishaps or uncomfortable experiences you've had in leading virtual teams. So you can think about this from your perspective or from your employee's perspective. So the question is, what uncomfortable experiences have you had leading or working in a virtual team? After you've written a few things down, you can hit play and resume the webinar. Great. So if you look at the screen in front of you, you probably recognize some of these phrases. Maybe you even wrote some, some of them down. This is some of the feedback from supervisors around the U that we've received when preparing for this webinar. So some people are saying, um, you know, home and work is all in one place or I feel isolated, um, or maybe the perception is that they, you know, other team members aren't pulling their weight. Uh, the feeling that, you know, I don't really know what they're working on. Are they okay? And then of course, the one that many of us can relate to is, you know, I just feel all zoomed out. So now think about it for just a minute. Is there anything on this slide that, that you would attribute your challenges to? So take a minute to pause the webinar and think about why you or your team has encountered these uncomfortable experiences. Can you identify the root cause that needs to be addressed? You may have written down some ideas that include communication breakdown, unclear expectation, um, maybe the work isn't getting done quickly enough, or team members are confused about their roles, or maybe there's some conflict that you have to manage. So when looking at the themes of the feedback that was shared, 
we could boil them down to the following five areas. Roles and responsibilities, communication, norms, especially around work and home flexibility, decision-making, and conflict management. Of course, technology still presents challenges to virtual teams, but once people get past the learning curve of that, the technology of virtual teams stops being a major issue. That's what we've seen with university supervisors. So I hope you've noticed that too, that all of these issues are not unique to virtual teams. They happen when people are working face-to-face as well. So you might be wondering, why does it feel like in a virtual environment, these pain points often come up more often? So one of the reasons is the soup that the, is that the supervisor and team members might be relying on, you know, quote, the old way of doing things, you know, and the old way is just being, you know, being in person. So another reason is that any practices that were sloppy before are now amplified in a virtual team. You simply can't rely on the same context cues or informal ad hoc conversations or other contexts that help you work through challenges. Right, so what can you do to make virtual teams more effective and keep your team engaged? Right, so the most important action you can take, and we hope this is one of your main takeaways today, is that you need to reestablish and revisit your assumptions. In other words, you know, what are the dynamics needed for virtual teams to be successful? So virtual teams can be effective, of course. However, in order to achieve those same outcomes in a virtual setting, you need to reestablish your approach to leading teams. It's just not enough to assume or rely on how things were done before when you were in a face-to-face team without pausing to consider the differences in context and of course, any other adjustments you need to make. Don't rely on the status quo or make assumptions about the way you did things before you were leading a virtual team. So let's look at these quickly. So if you don't establish roles and responsibilities, people just don't know who is responsible for what work. They don't know what success looks like, or they're confused about what they should be working on. Then there's communication. It's right. Communication is everything in a virtual team or when in, during the transition from in-person to virtual communication norms really go out the window. People are unsure about when to communicate. And this can cause a lot of stress if expectations are not reestablished and then norms. If there aren't norms that foster psychological safety, people tend to become more disengaged and not contribute to discussions or feel like they're being heard. For decision-making, yes, communication around decision-making changes in a virtual environment. Reestablish your approach to this process to avoid team members feeling uninformed or left out. And then, yes, conflict management. If you don't reestablish how you manage conflict virtually, you risk mismanaging conflict that arises because it's harder to identify the source of a conflict virtually. A failure to reestablish these critical team elements, these five critical team elements, is at the root of many of the struggles we see supervisors of virtual teams encounter. And we'll go into this in more detail in just a few minutes. So depending on how well your team is established or whether it's fully virtual or a hybrid, like Brandon talked about, some of these elements may be more challenging to establish. We'll get there in just a few minutes as we talk through those. So we know that virtual teams can be just as effective and sometimes even more effective than in-person teams. Teams can still be working towards the same goals. You can still expect high quality, high impact work. And I hope you have a lot of examples about that. I know I do within my own team. And within a team, you can still build a strong sense of community, yes, and focus on individual well-being and resilience of your employees. All of those things can still happen in a virtual team. 
as a supervisor, it's up to you to adjust and bring your virtual team along so you can all do the work successfully. You need to take into account what your team needs to be successful right now and establish or reestablish or revisit your team dynamics to get there. So now that you're aware of the pitfalls many supervisors face when transitioning to virtual teams, let's talk about the critical skills you need to successfully engage your virtual team. We hope by the end of this webinar that you're more aware of how to address or avoid pitfalls by shifting your mindset from a face-to-face -face team to a virtual or hybrid one and applying skills for leading virtual teams. Okay, so yes, there's a ton of research on how to lead teams and how to engage virtual teams. On this slide, you can see the critical skills for engaging teams, any team. And like I mentioned before, this is one of the key takeaways. Leading a virtual team doesn't equal knowing how to use technology. Instead, it's the fundamental knowledge of teams, collaboration, and team dynamics. In virtual teams, the skills and principles are the same, but the application might look a little bit different. If you're familiar with the leading team's content and have already used these skills, that's great. But if you found yourself suddenly supervising a virtual team, whether that was by design or by circumstance, you'll probably have to revisit a lot of these steps. Like we said earlier, we often rely on the status quo, like the way we used to do things when we're thrust into new circumstances. And yeah, in, with the virtual team, that can get you into some trouble. We know that working in a virtual team setting requires a different mindset, but you can use the skills you've developed for engaging your teams and apply them to your virtual team. In fact, it's really important that you think about what has worked for your team in face-to-face -face settings. Don't abandon these practices. Accept that these practices will need to be applied in new ways to engage your team virtually. We're going to highlight what these practices might look like in a virtual environment and help you think about how you might need to reframe the practice to help your virtual team stay engaged. Okay, so first let's talk about defining a clear purpose and describing success. This is the first step to having an engaged team. Defining the purpose of a team and describing what success looks like will help engage your team give them direction, help them innovate. What we know about teams is teams want to feel that what they do matters and has a meaningful impact. Team members want to know how their work is connected to the unit's priorities and thus have ownership in what the organization is trying to achieve. Whether your team is composed of faculty or staff, knowing they're contributing to the success of something greater than themselves through their work is very important. Let's take a look at what happens on a virtual team. So in a virtual environment, what gets in your way of being able to define purpose and describe success? So one of the main things we hear is that because employees feel more isolated in a virtual environment, they just don't always have a whole picture of what's going on. A supervisor needs you need to put extra work and effort into defining purpose, describing success, and communicating that to your employees. Instead of being able to rely on that spontaneous conversation in the office, around the team's purpose or progress, you need to be more intentional about creating these opportunities virtually. Understanding the team's purpose is connected to understanding how the work is connected to the bigger picture. Not understanding a team's purpose can lead to larger issues, such as employees becoming frustrated or disengaged with their work or conflicts arising between team members. Another thing that comes up is that in a virtual team, and you can see this on the slide, Everything feels urgent, and I, you could probably relate to this. Communication shifts. For example, your email inbox volume has gone up. 
because there's no in-person option anymore. Everyone is emailing you about everything. So to be honest, I mean, it can be really hard to tell where the urgency truly lies. And to lose focus of that can be very easy because all of your emails look the same in your inbox and you can't really tell what's important. It takes a lot of extra effort. We'll go back to this point when we talk about communication later in the webinar. So what can you do? Because of these differences that emerge in a virtual environment, how you can adjust your approach is to be proactive and communicate what success looks like to your team and make sure everyone is on the same page. If you think you've already communicated the purpose, do it again, just to be clear. So some of the questions to think about are, for example, how will your team know if it's successful? Is everyone on the same page? To what degree do team members understand their purpose or goals? To what degree does everyone understand the specific speci specific objectives or deliverables? I'm going to read that again. To what degree does everyone understand the specific objectives or deliverables? To what degree does everyone understand how your team's goals connect to the college unit? So at this point, you can pause the webinar and answer these questions on your action sheet. And of course, yes, you can always come back to this after the webinar as well. For a deeper dive into this step, you can also refer to the quick guide to leading teams, defining a clear purpose for team success, which is linked on your action sheet. The second step of leading teams is to clarify roles and responsibilities. Do people know who's doing what and why? As you're probably already aware, it's a supervisor's responsibility to explicitly clarify roles and responsibilities. Work should be assigned in a way that aligns with skills, knowledge, and abilities of each team member. In a virtual environment, what might cause confusion about teams' roles and responsibilities? So one of the factors that can cause confusion is the shift from interdependence to independence. If your team was working independently before going virtual, more like a work group, then shifting to working virtually is easier. You're just more used to it. If your team was more in interdependent, in other words, if you needed to work collectively and one member's work, for example, was dependent on the work of their colleagues, it's much harder to shift to a virtual environment because of the added coordination, communication norms, or feelings of isolation. In a virtual environment, employees often feel they want or need to problem solve areas of their work in order to move it forward. And they tend to assume authority over their work in a way they might not have in an in-person environment. In other words, they might switch to working more independently. It's not necessarily bad, this can be a great way for employees to develop and become even more engaged in their work. But yes, it can also backfire if it's not clear to both the supervisor and the employee that this is happening. When one or more employees shift to working more independently without clarifying their role or authority, that that's when this might cause some conflict or confusion. So it might sound like, I don't really know what they're working on, or I don't want to step on anyone's toes, or I didn't know about this, no one told me. So to avoid confusion, you need to be clear about what is and is not the role and responsibilities of your employees, and then communicate the handoffs and the level of authority as needed in a virtual environment. So the most important thing to do is to think about the purpose of your team and assign clear work responsibilities based on skills of your team members. You'll need to make sure individual team members know what they're expected to do, you know, what results you need and how they're expected to do the work or the behaviors that they should apply. You can use Zoom check-ins, phone calls, emails, or whatever to make sure they understand their responsibilities. And of course, make sure the entire team is aware of other team members' roles. 
This can help avoid conflict about who does what or people doing the same work twice. So some questions to ask yourself are, to what extent does your team need to set aside important work to deal with unnecessary tasks? Or to what extent do people receive requests that contradict each other? Or to what extent do team members understand their responsibilities and the responsibilities of others on the team? So at this point, you can pause the webinar and assess your team's clarity on roles and responsibilities using the questions on the action sheet. And yes, you can come back to this later if you want to. And then for a deeper dive into this step, you can also refer to the quick guide to clarifying roles and responsibilities, which is also listed on your action sheet. The third step of leading teams is to establish norms that foster psychological safety. Establishing norms that foster psychological safety is a critical part of making any team engaged in their work together. A team with psychological safety allows team members to take risks and communicate and coordinate effectively. So what this looks like, and hopefully some of this sounds familiar, is you know everyone practices reflective listening, everyone consistently contributes to discussions, no one dominates discussions, um, team members actively communicate with each other, not just with the team leader. So communication looks more like a web and not just a hub where you're in the middle. Team members feel like they can take risks or make mistakes and address tough issues without being penalized. And also the presence of polarity thinking. In other words, team members having many opportunities to hear about and share different opinions, ideas, or outcomes for the team. So teams, yes, teams are constantly negotiating their goals and actions that would achieve them. To move, and to move the work forward, it's important to encourage your team to bring ideas to the group by listening to them and then exploring those ideas. Right, so in a virtual environment, what gets in your way of establishing norms? What we hear from supervisors is that in a virtual environment, team members feel, yes, more isolated and distant from each other. That makes sense. And this psychological distance they feel makes building a trusting team even harder. One of the ways this plays out is that meetings are usually heavily task-oriented. Maybe this sounds familiar. Have you ever had this experience in a virtual meeting where you show up and people get right down to business? It sounds great. And it makes sense that a meeting is task-oriented, right? There's a lot to do, a lot to talk about. But if we think about in-person meetings, there's a lot of informal chatting that happens before or after those meetings. And this contributes to building relationships and trust among team members. It's not the only thing that does that, but it is one part of our daily interaction that we come to rely on. So without this informal relationship building, building trust to foster psychological safety can be really challenging. A virtual environment is missing those organic opportunities for relationship building that just occur more naturally in person. People simply just don't always know when or how to do this during virtual meetings. So what can you do? As a supervisor, it's your responsibility to make more opportunities for communication, which can then lead to those connections to foster psychological safety. So this, these opportunities can look like a lot of different things. They can look like happy hours, but no, that's not the only thing we're suggesting. In fact, virtual happy hours can be a little bit exhausting and not necessarily energizing for some people. Really, it just takes a few minutes at the beginning of a meeting for that unstructured chatting. That can be enough. So whatever it looked like, and this I think is the takeaway, whatever it looked like before can still work. So whatever it was that your team had opportunities to do before, you can keep trying to do that, but it has to be done more intentionally because you're virtual now. 
So relying, again, relying on those old ways just won't be enough in a virtual environment because it's even more important to invest in the relationships of your team members, not just in the tasks, but both task and the relationships. So some questions to consider, to think about around this are, you know, to what degree do members of the team have confidence in each other's abilities? To what degree do you and others listen carefully when others are speaking? To what degree do members of your team count on each other? Do they feel confident to do so? And at this point, you can pause the webinar again and you can assess your team's psychological safety, kind of where you are right now. And you can use the questions on the action sheet or, of course, come back to this later. And then for a deeper dive into this step, you can also refer to the quick guide to establishing norms that foster psychological safety. And that's listed on your action sheet. The fourth step in leading teams is to establish clear decision-making processes. This step helps teams be intentional and clear about how decisions are made to avoid conflict and wasted effort, and it also improves the quality of team decisions. The best practices of establishing decision-making processes are to have teams that make effective and efficient decisions based on evidence, not just personality, and also to have team members agree on how to make important decisions as a team and individually. And no, this doesn't mean that there isn't ever pushback from team members, of course there is. But it does mean that when that comes up, you are transparent about how a decision was made and why. So in a virtual environment, what gets in your way? Right, so if the pace of decision-making is quick due to circumstances or deadlines, this pace combined with team members working in isolation can make it really easy for a supervisor to make an important decision without maybe having time or feeling like they have time to consult with the team first. So yes, this is often necessary, especially if you're in a time of rapid change within your team. I think many of us are, but it can sometimes result in team members getting defensive or pushing back on a decision if they weren't consulted. On the other hand, it can also feel like important decisions take too long to make, especially in cases where you do need to consult with many partners and team members to get their buy-in. In a virtual environment, that waiting time, that just might feel amplified. So another thing you may experience is if your employees have more authority to make decisions because of their independence in a virtual environment, like we talked about. If so, it's possible for you to feel looped out of a decision-making process because they're taking more authority over the decisions themselves. So what can you do to increase the decision-making processes efficacy with your team? So first, of course, clarify each person's role in decision-making. And this might have changed when your team became virtual. For example, people's roles in decision-making may need to be adjusted if they're moving from a more independent or interdependent to, to interdependent work or vice versa, from interdependent to independent. So thinking about how that role needs to be adjusted. And then with your team, of course, determine and clarify the best way to make particular decisions. That's not a decision that you only need to make as a supervisor. Getting your team's input is really important as well. And then, of course, when pushback arises, you know, circle back with those people who might need another touch point or more explanation to get on board with the decision. So again, a lot of this can be attributed to uh, communication breakdown. So it's really important to keep those channels open and regular. So some questions to ask yourself are, you know, to what degree is our team on the same page about how to make important decisions? To what degree does our team usually agree about how much time to spend discussing each issue? And there are a lot of other questions, too that you can find on your action sheet. So you can pause your webinar and assess your team's decision-making processes in the virtual environment. And if you wanna take a deeper dive into this, you can refer to the quick guide to establishing clear decision-making processes, which again is listed on your action sheet.
The last step in leading teams is to manage team conflict. The best practices of managing team conflict are to identify conflict sources, you know, task or relationship, etc., and then to proactively resolve them. Remember, it's not important to avoid all conflict because a healthy conflict can have positive outcomes. The key is not to let it get in the way of productivity or working relationships. So in a virtual environment, what gets in your way of managing conflict effectively? So like we've pointed out, relationships just feel different in virtual settings. We don't feel as connected to our colleagues and our relationships aren't as organic or spontaneous or as informal as we felt they were. One thing to think about is when a conflict occurs in a virtual environment, it's very easy to identify it as a relationship conflict. In other words, conflict feels more personal when you're experiencing it in a virtual environment. Research shows that even conflicts that stem from other sources, like a task conflict, are frequently interpreted as relationship conflict because it's just simply easier to blame others or point the finger for issues in a virtual environment. If you think about how easily communication can break down in a virtual environment, yeah, this seems like a logical result. Those conflicts come up and we just assume it's because of something that someone did or said. In addition to this, addressing conflict is harder in a virtual environment. And this, I think, makes sense too. It's because depending on what communication method you're using, the tone, body language, and other cues are much harder to read. So conflict may be exacerbated instead of resolved. Many times you're working to resolve it. Right. So what can you do as a supervisor? There's a lot to think about here, but some adjustments you should plan to make are first to consider the method you use to communicate. And you've probably already run into this already. And, you know, for example, is everyone trained in the communication methods? Are they comfortable with them? So think through the methods you use for communication and why you're using them. You know, we've got email, Zoom, chat, among lots of other things. Synchronous methods could be more useful for some conversations that need to happen. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. So also, another thing you can do is plan to proactively manage conflict and identify the sources of conflict when they arise to best manage it. Lastly, proactively invest time in building relationships among your team members. And we've talked about that, I feel like we've talked about during during the entire webinar today. It's so important to build those relationships among your team members and to maintain them. So this, of course, is why it's so important to hold check-ins and team meetings and to build in time for this to happen. As a reminder, chit-chat during those meetings is okay. Oftentimes, virtual meetings, like I've said before, they get down to the task at hand and they skip the personal interactions altogether. I know that can feel really productive. It's great. But you're still missing a key element of team building that you would experience in an in-person team. So some questions to ask yourself around conflict management on a virtual team are, to what extent do team members, do members of your team speak up if they disagree about a course of action? To what extent does disagreement over work get emotional on your team? And are people on the team candid with one another? At this point, you can pause the webinar and you can assess how effectively conflict is managed in your virtual team. And you can use the questions on the action sheet, or of course you can come back after the webinar, like I've said. And then for a deeper dive into this step, you can also refer to the materials on assessing sources of conflict and mastering conflict management skills, which are listed on your action sheet. So that was a very brief overview at how best practices around leading teams need to be adjusted when working in a virtual team. All of these skills take time to apply and don't give up, of course, if you don't feel successful at first. 
it's worth it to keep trying to apply them in a way that works for you and your team and both moves the work forward and also creates the community and trust that your team needs to feel productive. So you probably noticed a theme as we went through these skills, and I think I said as much a couple of times, and it's there in front of you on the slide. Communication is key. Communication or maintaining connections is key because you need to be aware and invested in the human connections on your team. You also, of course, need to be aware of how comfortable people are with the tech. So make sure you're asking questions about this and maybe having conversations around this as well. And then, of course, yes, professional and personal boundaries can get very blurred in a virtual in a virtual environment, and this can take a toll on resilience and well-being of your team members. So making time to talk about that as well. All of these are important to maintaining connections you need to be a productive team. So when thinking about communication, many of us rely on our past in-person experiences with one underlying assumption. Communication happens when teams interact in a fixed space in time, like in a meeting room or at someone's desk. So this manifested itself in people wanting to set up many Zoom meetings to imitate in-person experiences. And then, of course, the result was feeling all Zoomed out. So instead, we're inviting you to think about how communication and collaboration happen in an ongoing manner without boundaries and how that ties to synchronous time and space. So in other words, there are many different ways to communicate, and I'm sure a lot of you are aware of this already. So with that, we invite you to think how. How are you communicating? So going virtual is an opportunity to revisit the efficacy of your communication and thinking about how the work can drive the communication and thinking about the purpose of the meeting. You don't always need to default to Zoom or even default to a meeting at all. Ask yourself, what's the purpose of your communication? So the table in front of you is an example of a simple tool that can help you think through this process. It's also on your action sheet, so it's there for you to use. It's not an exhaustive list. No, that, that would be a huge, huge table. But you can add your own rows and columns depending on what's working for you or what your team needs. So for team communication, we always start with what's the purpose of the communication. For example, if it's just to inform or update, maybe it's an email or depending on the work, maybe it's a more specialized tool like Slack or Asana. If it's to collect input, think about what input you're trying to collect. Is it individual opinions or a group as a whole? If it's collected as a team, how would you make sure that everyone has a chance to speak up and not conform to opinions of a few outspoken people on the team? If it's to collaborate, you know Google Docs or Google Slides, they work really well. And there are also other specialized collaboration tools for whiteboarding, concept mapping, sticky notes, all kinds of things. If it's to manage conflict or anything that has a potential for high emotions or anything that needs to have more context, in other words, if your interaction requires some visual social cues, then yes, a video conferencing tool like Zoom would be your best option. And I just want to add a plug in here too. Don't forget about the old fashioned phone. Sometimes picking up that phone, which usually doesn't have a lag, can be a great option as well. So all this just goes to say, let the work drive the communication, knowing that part of your work is tasks and part of it is building relationships. So finally, just a quick call out for meetings. Um, all of the things that made in-person meetings successful and effective, like the things that are listed here, you know, having an agenda, assigning a facilitator, managing the time of the meeting, and then, of course, wrapping up so that team members are clear about decisions and next steps. All of that still applies in a virtual meeting. The only added variable 
is your choice of technology and then the familiarity of team members with that technology. So remember to not make assumptions about your team's familiarity or comfort with the different tech that you use for communication. Again, another plug, notice how here we are once again talking about universal best practices first and then adding the technology component. So with that, let's go back to summarize the key foundational skills that would make your team, whether virtual or otherwise, very effective. Here they are. So we have defining a clear purpose and describing success, clarifying roles and responsibilities, establishing norms that foster psychological safety, establishing clear decision-making processes, and managing team conflict. So reestablishing the team dynamics around these will allow you to successfully engage your virtual team and innovate the way your team achieves results. These five elements are very effective in doing this. Great. So at this point in the webinar, I'd like to take a few minutes and address some of the questions that have come in from supervisors around the university. And John Barnett is going to join us in addressing some of your questions. So thank you so much to those of you who have submitted questions. We really appreciate them because we know that many of you are dealing with a lot of the same challenges, those that we've outlined already in the webinar. And this is a great time to really think through, like, what does it look like for me? And what do I need to be thinking about when I'm thinking about addressing these questions and improving my virtual team supervision? So John, thank you so much for joining us for mm -hmm. this Q&A. Yep, happy to be here. Yeah, great. Um, so the first question we got was, you can see it on the screen here in front of you. The question was, how do you help keep up morale and positivity with a team that is very relational and is struggling with the remote work environment? And I love this question. It's mm -hmm. a great question that I'm sure a lot of supervisors are struggling with. So what comes to my mind is psychological safety, because like, like we talked about today, um, establishing psychological safety on a team is what allows them to feel safe to voice their concerns or their worries or needs or anything else. So mm -hmm. when you're thinking about morale and positivity with a team, you're thinking about, you know, giving them time to really talk about what they're dealing with, you know, even if that's remotely. So I guess like in a remote environment, this, I mean, really this is even more important because people feel like I pointed out in the webinar, I mean, people feel more isolated. They feel mm -hmm. more disconnected from each yep. other. Yeah. And they feel, I mean, feeling like your team is supportive can go a long way in keeping that morale and positivity up it, all the time. And also, of course, by letting people talk about struggles. You know, if you're allowing your supervisor or your, your employees to do this, you're, what you're doing is you're helping them avoid burnout and tapping into their resiliency. Mm -hmm. And that's such an important skill at a time like this. I mean, I just want to have a little caveat there too, though. It's not the supervisor's role to make everybody happy or to make everybody feel good or what, what your role is. I mean, in my opinion, what your role really is, is to create an environment in which people can feel like they can be open and honest without being judged. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of my two cents. John, what would you add? Yeah, so kind of like you said, um, when we're talking about intentionally building in time for relationships, um, you know, we heard a lot after um, the COVID-19 pandemic really started about people doing these Zoom happy hours. Well, it doesn't need to look like that. Um, you know, I, I think we've all heard stories about, you know, those not going so well or being a little bit awkward. Um, we just want to mention, or I just want to mention that it doesn't have to look specifically like that. Um, maybe instead you, you know, you take a few minutes at, at the beginning of your meetings to check in on how things are going with your employees, um, maybe with work, but also beyond work. And one reason you should 
really be intentional about this is that just remote meetings and Zoom meetings by nature tend to be really task focused and down to business. Um, you know, like you just don't spend a lot of time checking in with each other because it's just a little different. It's a little awkward. Um, you're in this, you know, Zoom room and you feel like you really need to hit the ground running with the work. Um, so as a supervisor, you play a really powerful role in setting up these norms that allow people the space and time and permission to kind of meander and check in. I know for our team, um, you know, when we started working remotely at the beginning of this pandemic, uh, we really fell into that pattern of just down to business, let's talk about the work. And I think for the first month, Emily and I, we just, you, you and I, we just never checked in. We, I mean, we used to do this all the time in the office where we chit chat, ask how the other was doing. And when we were in this remote space, that just kind of went away. And it took us kind of realizing how important that was for us to kind of acknowledge where the other uh, person was at in terms of stress or work or workload and all that stuff, um, and just where they were at with their lives. Um, it, took, it took us kind of realizing that to implement that best practice of really allowing us the time and permission to check in with one another. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I'm yep. glad you brought that up because I remember thinking like, I had taken for granted the time that we would invest in that, you know, with you and with our mm -hmm. other team members, that we, the time we would invest in that kind of relationship building. Yeah. It, kind of, it just really went out the window when things turned remote. Right. And I wasn't, I wasn't advocating for Zoom happy hours. So I'm glad you said that because <laughs> I thought, you know, when happy hour comes along, I, uh, there are other ways I'm going to spend that time. And I right. didn't necessarily want to be attached to Zoom, you know, definitely not to my computer. Yeah. All hours. So, but it, at the same time, I, I definitely, we definitely noticed that there was a, there was a kind of a, um, a gap in totally. kind of the connections that had always been there that we weren't being as intentional with anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really easy for, for everyone to kind of fall into that pattern when they're working virtually. And we, we definitely did that. And, you know, another thing is that people just have a lot on their minds. Um, there's a lot going on right now with the pandemic and in the in the last few weeks with the murder of George Floyd, especially in Minnesota, um, that um, even if you don't see an immediate, you know, business value in discussing the lives with your employees or, or in just checking in emotionally, um, intentionally doing so will help build relationships on your team. And that can have huge benefits in terms of productivity, um, and, and just kind of group cohesion, but it also can help you uh, kind of proactively manage conflict. Yeah, great, John. Thank you for the input. Um, for those of you that are listening, you know, there, there is a quick guide, which I mentioned earlier in the webinar, Establishing Norms and Expectations, that can teach you more about what psychological safety looks like on a team and what norms you need to establish in order to kind of keep up that morale and positivity with your team and keep, that, keep those relationships strong, even in a virtual environment. Mm -hmm. So another question that we got around um, supervising and engaging virtual teams is here on your screen in front of you. It's how do you make sure your employees are doing their work without micromanaging or being a hovering supervisor? Uh, yeah, I know this is a lot of, uh, it's a huge pain point for a lot of supervisors mm -hmm. because there's a lot of trust that seems to need to go into making virtual teams work. So John, I'm just curious, how would you, you know, how would you answer this question? Yeah, yeah. Well, kind of like you said, a lot of supervisors are definitely running into this right now with their virtual teams. And that's because if you're used to working closely with your employees, you know, in the same office or, or just kind of around the same space, 
it can be really difficult to kind of gauge how and if the work is getting done when you're missing all of those in-person cues that you're used to having. So this comes down to a couple things. Um, performance management, and maybe a little bit more specifically goal setting and delegation. And then the other part of it is trust. For performance management, you just need to do what you always do. Set goals around the work, describe the work that they need to accomplish, maybe give them a little bit of context and background info um, if they'll need that in order to get the work done, um, and then decide how to track progress. Um, if you set you know, specific uh, dates that you need deliverables by, for example, that can be a really good way to make sure uh, that you're keeping the employee on task and making sure the work gets done. Um, and so the other part is, is trust. You know, you've set that you've delegated the work, you've set goals around the work. Um, and now you need to have a little bit of trust that the work gets done. That doesn't mean you don't regularly, you know, check in via zoom or email about the work, um, or, or that you don't hold the employee accountable, but you, you need to try to avoid micromanaging. You know, you've set those deadlines, you've uh, communicated what the employee needs to do, and if they're getting the work done, if they're meeting those, then you know the work's getting done. You don't need to see them doing the work for the work to be done. I think you bring up some really good points about like, if you were dependent, like in your um, regular face-to-face -face work environment, if you were dependent on actually physically seeing your employee do the mm -hmm. work, in order to trust that they were doing the work, I would question that because there is, you know, so much trust that needs to be developed in order to, you know, just to not have to feel like you have to micromanage or hover mm -hmm. over your employees. So yeah. I think you brought up some really good points about that. You know, again, it's like, if that was your practice before, this is a time to rethink that practice mm -hmm. and think, exactly. through, you know, if you, you know, th thinking about setting goals and those other practices around, you know, uh, effective supervision, that, that makes sense. Yep, yep, yep. The only thing I would add um, is I would say, you know, supervisors, you know, really think about how you're delegating the work because, you know, the main point of this is to, of delegation, it really sets up an opportunity to agree on a process for feedback and how you are going to be involved in your employee's work. I mean, if you're, if you're delegating, then you're probably also setting up like, how are you planning to track progress and how and when would feedback be provided? Uh, when would your employees need to involve you or when would you want them to involve you? And then of course, how will the project or task be evaluated? So if you, if you are currently delegating, you know, really working through those questions around doing that effectively can also help you avoid a micromanaging situation. So if you're including your employee in this conversation, it's a great opportunity to clarify expectations and set up a positive experience. We have some quick guides that can help in this. So the quick guide to goal setting, the quick guide to delegation and quick guide to accountability. And those are all linked on your action sheet. Okay, great. So um, this is our third question that came in. And again, I really thought this question uh, really reflected a lot of those, those challenges that supervisors are feeling right now, whether it's a true challenge or not, it definitely feels like one because it's so different. So the question is, you know, I've lost that sense of immediacy and spontaneity because I can't walk around and talk to people to check in like I used to. So what advice do you have for me and others in similar situations? First of all, I would say, like I just said, yeah, we are all in, in, in some kind of situation like this. You know, our work environment has changed drastically. And in any virtual team, you know, that's, that's the case. It, it's just simply not the same as a face-to-face -face, uh, interaction, even though you can get the same results, mm -hmm. you can have the same kinds of connections. It definitely still feels different. So there's no doubt that this is at the heart of a lot of challenges that supervisors experience. And it's hard if you've always counted on physically being in the room with your employees. Mm -hmm. 
I, in, in the webinar already, I did say a couple of times, you know, about being careful about not relying on the old way of doing things. So if you're relying on FaceTime to see how people are doing, you just simply in a virtual team, you simply have to reimagine how to do this. And again, going back to that idea that communication is everything and being very intentional about connections to people. So keeping your team connected and you yourself staying connected, not just formally, but in other ways too. So whatever it, whatever it used to look like, um, you know, reimagining what it needs to be now. So we've talked about, you know, starting those meetings with a chit chat or using alternative methods of communication and not seeing all that as a waste of time, but rather as an investment in the relationships. Um, yes, we lose spontaneity in the virtual space and we lose a lot of the informality, mm-hmm. you know, those opportunities to check in. Um, so I, I can share an anecdote that I recently heard. Um, I was talking with a supervisor recently and she said she had asked an, uh, one of her fairly new employees to meet with her once or twice a week virtually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was like, why does she want to meet with me? And felt really defensive during these meetings because he thought she was checking up on him. And, you know, he had to kind of prove that he'd been working. So it goes mm-hmm. back to that idea of, you know, not maybe not having clear expectations or there being a little bit of a micromanaging um, feeling to the relationship. And yeah, of course she was interested in his work progress, but that was not her intention. These meetings were actually just to check up in an informal way, like to stay connected, like those kinds of conversations you might have around the coffee pot or, you know, kind of walking through the office, you know, casually. It took a few meetings for him to realize she wasn't checking up on him, but she said he did eventually realize that. And he was really grateful for the meetings at that point because he realized it was that sort of informal connection time that she was demonstrating to him that she valued and then he could take advantage of that as well right that's kind of what comes to mind is there's a lot wrapped up in this question but as far as advice goes you know i hope that makes sense john what would you add to this right i think that's a great anecdote and it's it's a really good example of kind of that intentional work that that supervisors really need to be doing right now to get at that kind of um immediacy that that we used to have in this in-person environment And I think that's another great example um, of a situation in which a a supervisor can really, you know, set clear expectations like, hey, this is the purpose of these these check-ins I'm doing is is to kind of get at this immediacy and kind of build relationships again. Um, Because um, we just don't want to leave it up to the employee to interpret the right thing. You know, as a supervisor, you have a lot of responsibility and power in setting the tone and setting expectations for for your employees. So that's, that's something I'd add there. Um, another thing I would add, and um, just kind of like you said, Emily, all of this relationship building is, is possible. We know that it's going to look different and it's going to take more effort, but it's, but it's possible. And so I'd, I'd recommend you take another look at that, that chart on communication that Emily showed you earlier in the, in the webinar. And you'll see that on your screen now and also listed on your action sheet. Just remember to be intentional about your communication. You know, what's appropriate for what type of communication? Um, You know, if you're checking in on work stuff, maybe Slack or chat or Google Docs for collaboration. You know, if you're checking in to build relationships, maybe a phone call. We still have those. Um, Maybe chat or Zoom, something like that where you can get a little bit um, more personable communication. Um, But the bottom line is to just uh, let the work drive the communication method instead of using a method as a catch-all. Like Zoom is not always gonna be the appropriate method um, for, for you know quick updates on projects, but email is also not gonna be always the appropriate method for relationship building and checking in on your employees and, and their well-being. 
Great. Thanks, John. So, and as a reminder too, you can take a look at the links on your action sheet for, for, for lots of more material on all of these issues. So thanks again to everyone for submitting your questions. I hope that helps kind of drive it home a little bit and to kind of visualize, you know, what does this look like for me as a supervisor or for you as a supervisor at the university? So we were going through this content rather quickly. To learn more, you'll want to explore the supervisory development website at supervising.umn.edu. There we have quick guides and other resources that you can download or view for your reference. You can come back to this page soon to find out more about our upcoming September webinar. Thanks for attending our webinar today and sharing your thoughts. We hope you find this information today useful and relevant to your supervisory experience right now, and we look forward to talking with you again soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Supervisory Development Course Podcast. Please explore resources mentioned in the podcast by going to supervising.umn.edu. The Supervisory Development Course Podcast is created by Leadership and Talent Development within the Office of Human Resources at the University of Minnesota. If you have questions regarding supervisory development, please email us at ltd.umn.edu. At